My name is Carolyn Anderson, and I'm the new Assistant Director of Worship Arts here at WCPC. We just began with you a month ago, and we're enjoying ourselves. My name is Jewel Anderson, and this is my mom, and I joined with her a month ago as well. So hear now the, Lord, the Word of God. Galatians 5 and 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 13 through 26 reads like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Disincensions. Factions and envy. <laughs> Drunkenness. Orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is, is the, the word, word of, of the Lord. Lord. Thank you, Carolyn and Joelle. That was beautiful. And I'll say more about that uh, portion of Scripture, which is uh, a little challenging on many levels. And uh, thank you, Harriet Heibel, wherever you are, for uh, almost reading last week's Scripture again this week. Um, I, I want to join Tommy in saying welcome. I'm Bart Garrett, one of the pastors here. And if, if you've ever been to a group where you do a little bit of a check-in, let me just do a little bit of a check-in with you. Um, we dropped our second of three daughters off to college this week, my wife and I did. So every little thing makes me cry. Uh, puppies, the color blue. Um, one of you before the service said, I need a hug. And I said, I need a hug too. So um, we'll see how this all works out today. Um, but I've also, we've been in this series, as Tommy mentioned, all summer entitled, uh, What Does a Christian Look Like? And I want to simply get underneath that question because this is the last sermon in the series uh, by asking another question, which is why? why? Why would we do a series on what does a Christian look like? And, and I put a couple things here. Um, I, I'd suggest I want to clear up a presupposition and challenge a couple misperceptions and then call you 
and this is where a southern contraction is useful, call y'all, all of us, into a flourishing life, a life of freedom, as we'll talk about today. But first, to clear up a presupposition, uh, many people would look at Christianity and look at Christians and say, well, they're intolerant, they're judgy, they're uncaring, they're unkind. And um, frankly, over history, we've uh, proven that to be true sometimes. Gandhi even said, uh, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Uh, however, in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. was challenged to just put Christianity in the past. Why are you making this a Christian movement? We need to get beyond Christianity. And MLK said, no, 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 we actually need deeper, truer Christianity, a Christian at his or her best uh, isn't called to those things like hypocrisy and intolerance and all the rest. So I'd also like to challenge with this series a couple misperceptions. Some of us even in this room have these misperceptions. On the one hand, we might say something like Christian life is this closed-fisted drudgery. It's grinning and bearing it. It's it's all the pain with no gain. It's severe asceticism. It's killing off all desire. A Christian is someone who says that somewhere somebody is having a good time. Ugh. <laughs> On the other hand, we have this misperception at times uh, where we might say, well, Christian life is actually full of, of shiny, happy, clappy people. You know, every day with Jesus is, is sweeter than the day before. Let go and let God. Hashtag blessed. But instead, we've been suggesting this, this whole series, this whole summer, that there is a paradox to Christianity. And we're called not to sand off the tension, but to live into it. The reality, and we see it here in verse 25, is that Christians believe we are made alive by the Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit. So it is God's work within us so that we can then get to work. And in a broken world, Christians sometimes, because we know what the world should be and is intended to be, we might be the bearers of the deepest grief, but we would also say our joy runs deeper. We've experienced some of that grief even this weekend, as many of us were a part of a memorial yesterday and today. But I also put this series forward for us because I, I wanted us again to be called anew to a flourishing life. A life, as we'll learn in a minute, of freedom. So we put out a survey a couple weeks ago just to see how this series is shaping our congregation. And one of the questions I ask is, what is God doing in your heart? And we got some great answers. I'll read a couple of them. Uh, someone said, patience. I'm trusting God uh, in the things that I have no control over in my life. Someone else said, said self-control as it relates to sleep and food and exercise and consistent work in order to be prepared for my role this year as a teacher. Someone else said, God is prompting me to think more gently with intentional goodwill towards others. Another person said, I'm praying more and God is making me more aware of my shortcomings so that I can be led into a life marked by the Spirit. Another person said, I'm learning to have a grateful heart. 
And, and I would suggest that this is a call into a flourishing life. It's a life actually of freedom. In fact, if you were to look at the, the telos, the, the end game of Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, it is about, as we see here in, in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the crescendo of this passage that Jewel and Carolyn read in verses 13 and 14, and you can see it on the slide, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. One more survey response said this, it seems that the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit are not necessarily so that I might have a better life, but that living out my life in the fruit of the Spirit will create a better life for others. Yes. And that's the big idea this morning. Freedom from limit is bondage, but freedom for others is liberation. Uh, this week I was thinking about this sermon uh, and I couldn't help but rehearse in my mind all of these movies that have to do with freedom. Now my my purview of movies is a little limited. I asked Matt and Rachel, a student ministry, to give me some updates, and uh, they were busy with student ministry. So, uh, so you're going to have to be dated in a middle-aged list a little bit. But I, I just was jotting down. I think I jotted all these movies down in less than five minutes. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Freedom from School, Footloose, Freedom from Restraint, Groundhog Day, Freedom from Boredom and Monotony, Dead Poet Society, Freedom from Conformity, Thelma and Louise, Freedom from Gender Stereotypes, Minority Report, Freedom from Determinism, The Matrix, Freedom from Systems, right? We have the opportunity to be a free agent. The Truman Show, Freedom from Commercialism, Mr. Holland's Opus, do you remember that movie? Freedom from performing and producing that one score. Into the Wild, Freedom from Society. Chocolat, freedom from repression. Pleasantville, freedom from convention and conformity. Star Wars, we'll get this one, freedom from empire. The Marvel Universe, Captain America, what did he say? The price of freedom is high. It always has been. Freedom from evil and tyranny. Or if you're an Avenger, freedom from the bureaucracy, right? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Freedom from the confinement of an asylum. Spartacus, Amistad, 12 years a slave, freedom from slavery. Selma, freedom from systemic oppression. Shawshank Redemption, freedom from injustice. The Patriot, freedom from monarchy. Dances with Wolves, freedom from cultural barriers. Braveheart, right? They can take our lives, but they can never take our kilts, our face paint. No, our freedom, right? So the question is, and this is a little bit of an exercise this morning because I want us to reflect on this summer series together, what do you want freedom from? Just think about that a second. Maybe you can jot it down in your notes or on your, with your mental pencil. What are, what are a couple things that you want freedom from? Just whatever comes to mind, whatever comes to heart. Well, I, I made a list this week as you're thinking about yours, maybe uh, they find their way onto this list. There's uh, freedom from religion or church, freedom from government or politics, 
Freedom from cultural forces like consumerism, commercialism, freedom from injustice, exploitation, boredom, conformity. You don't want to be basic, right? Freedom from convention, freedom from family brokenness, relational betrayal, friend drama, your career or performance, freedom from relational scripts, emotional patterns, addictive behaviors, abandonment, abuse, fear, worry, anxiety, guilt, shame. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? But now turn the page for a moment and think about things that you might want freedom for. Another exercise. You can jot it down in your notes or use your mental pencil. What are some things you want freedom for? As you're thinking about that, maybe some of yours show up on this list as well. Happiness, joy, meaning, purpose, satisfaction, justice, hope, intimacy, freedom itself. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we pursue this life of freedom, this flourishing life? How are we liberated from some things and free for some things? And that's actually what this series ultimately has been all about. It's what Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia is all about. Again, if the telos, if the end game is freedom, then we have to ask the question, how are we going to get there? And we talked about this at the first sermon. I commend Tommy for preaching a great introduction to this series because Paul develops these three paradigms or these three pathways, these three ways of pursuing freedom. He says that you can live a life in the flesh, under the law, or by the Spirit. You can live a life in the flesh, which is to say you can do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, with whomever you want to do it with. In a Greco-Roman culture, in a Galatian province, there was a lot of upward mobility and it produced this type of freedom. To do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, and often with the abuse of money, sex, and power. And it's where we get into this list of no good, very bad things that you saw in the middle of your, of your text. And you might call it life in the upside down if you're into stranger things, but it's verses 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and and orgies, which really just means collective addictions. Uh, What does it do to people? Yes, it, it dehumanizes people, doesn't it? We begin to treat people with this list as pawns or toys or objects. And remember that misperception that some of us think that Christians might be party killers, that someone somewhere is having a good time? Ugh. Yet, think about this list in our homes, in our families, on our streets, in our church, in our workplace. This list creates stories of, of brokenness and pain and trauma and wounds and scars. So Paul says maybe there's a second way to pursue freedom. It's to live under the law, which is this adherence to a particular conduct. It may be self-imposed, it may be government-imposed, or your religion may impose it upon you. And again, uh, Tommy did, did a great job of teasing this out in the first sermon, but he said, you know, there's plenty to commend about the law. It gives us guardrails of protection, doesn't it? 
a way of understanding right and wrong. It can restrain evil. And Tommy used the analogy of uh, don't hit your brother. You know, that's a family rule, a family law. But what it can't do is form you into the person that God has called you to be. I would even say that the law not only restrains you, it can at times provoke, provoke you. You ever seen a wet paint sign on a bench? What do you do? Is it really wet? You ever seen a, a speed limit sign fly by as you're five over, ten over, right? See, Paul challenges in the church in Galatia, the teachers of the law, he says, you're actually misunderstanding the law. You think it's going to bring deliverance, or in religious terms, you think it's going to bring salvation, but it's probably going to end up crushing you and others. In fact, the most morally upright people are the most devastated when they're crushed by their own sense of right and wrong, right? Your own expectations, your own responsibility. Nothing is as painful as a really good person letting themselves down. And that's what this passage is also about, the other list. You know, you get into, Paul says, internal conflict with yourself. So you're either feeling pretty good and you're deceiving yourself. Oh, yeah, I'm living the life I want to live. Or you're living with this imposter syndrome, feeling like you're always a phony or a fraud. And what does that do to other people? The other list, destruction, provocation, judgmentalism, verse 15. They're biting and devouring one another. That's life under the law. And you know what I find so interesting? Is that people can move from one way of living to the other way of living and vice versa. And they can even ping pong back and forth between life in the flesh and life under the law. Uh, I'll use two vibrant examples of this. Uh, one of them comes from a podcast that was just recommended to me, and it's uh, the story of synanon. Uh, some of you who are a little bit older, maybe nodding your head when you hear that word, it, it comes from the words, and I had to look this up, seminar, symposium, and the anon movement, like Alcoholics Anonymous. But synanon in California became this cult. And what happened in the 60s is people with deep addiction, heroin, dope, alcohol, uh, Santa Monica, they came into this community, which became known as the Synanon community. They ended up uh, moving to a commune in Marin County, and they found healing. They found freedom from their addictions. But what happened is that they started strapping themselves to the laws of Synanon, to the ways of living, to the ways of being, and they became more binding than the addictions that they came in with. And so this podcast is these crushing stories of abuse and trauma and suicide and murder as people were living under the law of synanon. Well, here's another example of moving the other way. And it's this Amish notion of rumspringa. Some of you will know that. It's the sowing of wild oats. And that's not exactly what it means, but it's so important that when you turn 16, you make your Amish faith your own that you're sent out from under the law of Amish living to pursue your own sense of freedom and experimentation. And some people come back and some people don't. 
And the scene at Galatia is, is the same thing. These pagan peoples who've been living under the flesh or living in the flesh are invited to come under the law, but the problem is, is they're becoming Christian. These first generations of Christians who were Jewish are saying, you actually need to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And so they're ping-ponging back and forth between living in the flesh and coming under the law. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. to be Christian is to live by the Spirit through the grace of Christ. But then some of them kept moving back to the life of the flesh or moving back under the law. And you know what that tells me? It tells me a couple things about me. It tells me a couple things about you. One of them is it's difficult to apprehend the grace of God. We keep saying to ourselves, it depends on my effort, not God's mercy. I don't measure up. I should either try harder or I should opt out. But, back to our survey. The question asked, what did you learn about the fruit of the Spirit this summer? Someone said that I desperately need Jesus to transform me as I inhabit the fruit of the Spirit more consistently. Yes and yes and amen and amen. That's the Christian life. But this toggling back and forth at Galatia taught me another thing about me and perhaps about you. It's that living by the Spirit putting on a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is a persistent and at times painstaking struggle in this life. Back to the survey. Someone else said, I was strongly hit by the comment that the fruit is only as strong or powerful or useful in my life as the weakest aspect of that fruit, the sour grape analogy. I need to cultivate all of the fruit, and the only way to do this is to deeply depend on God. Yes and yes and amen and amen. The flourishing life, a life of freedom, involves a lifetime walk with God. And you know what? It's difficult. And I'll share a personal example from my own life. A number of years ago, I was struggling immensely to love a fellow Christian and one evening I'm walking home and I'm walking past this guy's house and the Holy Spirit asked me three rather startling questions and if you don't know me I'm not one of those like God speaks to you all the time types of people but there were these three impressions that I just couldn't shake and there were three questions and the first one was do you believe that I love you just as you are and I said to myself, I suppose so. All my warts, all my faults. And then there was a second question. Do you believe I love him just as he is? And I said, I suppose so. All his warts, all his faults. Which left the third penetrating, pressing question. If I can love him like that, can you? See, God was teaching me to love as he loves, to forgive as he forgives. And love forgives at great cost to itself, doesn't it? It doesn't even demand a change of behavior from the other. So a couple more questions in the survey as we conclude. Uh, someone says, how can I find joy in our world's current crisis? Or in challenging situations where emotions run deep, what kind of peace can one expect to have? And I would encourage you, 
bring these great questions to your community group, to your pastors. Um, there are some specific things I might say to them, but to be general in closing, I'm going to offer uh, this final sentiment, and I've been careful in crafting it all week because, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say it, and hopefully you can help me sort it out. Uh, many, many American churches, and, I, and I've wanted to say this as we're coming out of COVID together, uh, many American churches are failing us today because they're inviting us into a life of following Jesus that is presented as sexy. And, and they may not use the word. It may come by way of, of whatever, like fog machines or, or laser shows or sneakers that the pastor's wearing or like fly clothes. Can you even say fly anymore? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's this orientation around a self-congratulatory commitment to God. And, and I am not knocking any one church in particular, and I'm not even suggesting we shouldn't seek to be relevant in any and every culture in many ways, but I am just saying this. Following Jesus is not a sexy life, but it's a sacred life. As Peter says to the church in 2 Peter 1, and God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. For the highs and the lows and the ins and the outs and the pain and the pleasure and the grief and the joy and the deep sacrificial commitments to one another that in some mysterious and strange ways produce true freedom. Our big idea, freedom for loving others, that is liberation. In one final comment from the survey, a question was asked, how does God bring revival to a church and in a culture? Well, John Stott, we've been praying his prayer at the conclusion of every sermon, and I'm going to lead us in that prayer in a second. He was considered by Time Magazine one of the most uh, top 100 most influential people in the 20th century. He never married in his 90 years of living. He was eminently humble. He was once asked, what's one thing you do different in your ministry? And he said, I would pray more. And when he was asked about revival, this is what he said. Changes to systems and structures only begin with a radical renovation of the human heart. Imagine what it might look like if more and more everyday ordinary people like you and me became more and more like Jesus with respect to these character qualities of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The places where we live and work and play, and the people around us, our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers, they would be free. So I want to invite us one final time into this prayer that John Stott prayed. I'm just going to pray it over you and allow these words to uh, usher in this type of life. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.